The Tech Journeys podcast is proudly brought to you by Progress Talent Solutions, the number one supplier of recruitment services to the fastest growing technology businesses in the UK and proud founders of the UK Tech Journeys community. If you're looking to grow your team or for that next career opportunity, then you can find their details in the About section below. Right, hello everybody, uh, and thank you once again for tuning into the Tech Journeys podcast. Um, today we are joined by Alice Easy. Um, Alice is the engineering manager. Is that right, Alice? Engineering yeah. manager of Savanta in Cambridge. Um, and we've invited Alice on because she has a, a very unique journey through technology, which we're going to kind of dig into soon. Um, but also um, a very successful woman in technology. Um, so we want to speak to Alice, get an understanding of her journey through to where she is today, uh, and then pick her brains about what it's been like over the past years um, being a successful woman in technology. So, hi Alice, how are you doing? Hi, thanks Sean. It's um, really exciting to be here. Thanks for asking me on. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for joining us. Um, obviously, we've had a couple of conversations before we came on. We know of a few people in common, uh, and it was recommended to kind of get you on and have a chat. Uh, which I'm really excited to do. So do you want to just um, take a minute just to introduce yourself and, and tell people about a little bit about yourself, what you do at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am the engineering manager at Savanta. Um, it's a, a great company in Cambridge. We do a lot of market research um, for people. So surveys is kind of our bread and butter. Um, we do surveys on absolutely every subject under the sun. And... Uh, collect all the data, analyse it, and we've got a, a really nice dashboard to present um, a lot of it very visually. And um, my main role is um, running the dev teams. So we've got three teams and just making sure they're set up, they've got everything they need, they're happy. Yeah, all that good right. stuff. Fantastic. Uh, well, obviously, as I mentioned to you before this, the first question that I always ask, um, and I think it's an important one, is can you remember when you first became interested in technology uh, and what was it that kind of piqued that interest? Yeah, it's, it's a really clear memory, actually. It was, um, it was a school trip to like a computer camp. Okay. It, it sounds kind of weird now that I'm telling you about it, but, but it, <laughs> yeah, like they, they packed us all off to this place um, and it was, it was amazing. Like we got to program a bit of a text adventure game we got to like control like a robot arm so that it could, you know, move around and pick things up. We got to synthesize the music for a horror show. And um, it, my brother and I, we came back and we were just buzzing about it for like days afterwards. And I think that's what made my mum go out and buy us like an Acorn Electron. That was like right, a okay. computer. So like, yeah, age seven or something like that. Um, right. And, that was that was great having having a computer like from that age. It's a classic story, right? You know, you, you, yeah. you got that. You're in your bedroom. You're typing Basic into it. Like I used to type out pages and pages of Basic from like magazines and books, and then press enter, and like obviously none of it would work, and I couldn't debug it. So, um, <laughs> but but I still really enjoyed messing around with it and playing all the games on it and everything like that. Yeah. So did, did you did you continue with an interest in technology, would you say, from then right up until where you are today? Or would you say that you maybe dropped in and out a little bit? I, I'd say I was always interested in games. Like, yeah. hands down, that was always the driving thing for me. Like, And I think that's been um, really solid. Like, since I was a kid up until now, um, yeah, 
uh, especially Nintendo. I love Nintendo. All things Nintendo are amazing. Um, I, I don't... I, I was more interested in engineering, I think. Like, when I was at sixth form, that's the path I thought I was going to go down. Like, maybe yeah. architecture, maybe engineering. Like, computer science wasn't... It's going to show you how old I am. Computer science wasn't really a thing when I was at sixth form. Like, there weren't actually that many degrees in it. And um, when I went to the open day at Sussex University for like to, to go and check out their engineering program. <laughs> I, I'm sure the guy there was trying so hard to put me off because he started going on about air conditioning, like, and telling me how amazing air conditioning was. Right. <laughs> but the guy next to him was the, uh, the dean of the, um, of the faculty that did the AI courses. And he had like these predator prey robots running around his table that didn't fall off because they could like detect the edge of the table and they could like conserve their power and stuff. And so this engineering guy was going on at me about air conditioning. And meanwhile, I was just fixated by these robots on the next table. Uh -huh. so that's, that's kind of how I got into, I, th I think that was the real thing that made me think, yeah, okay, I'm going to go and do that. Right. Okay. Um, and then you did, didn't you? So you went to university of Sussex um, and is that where you studied AI? Yeah, it was terrible right. in those days. Like nothing, nothing worked. Right. Go on. Tell me. Tell me. Uh, tell me a little bit about what AI was back then. It, it was. It was so new. So they still didn't really know what they were doing at all. And like you know, the, there was no hardware. Like the, the problem spaces were so massive, but they just didn't have the hardware to store you know all of the data they needed to store um you know you look at how we were looking at natural language processing like we were still trying to teach computers grammar rules and things like that you know yeah. now it's much more about statistical analysis of um of how uh, things are put together and commonly used phrases and um, so yeah it felt like it was sort of going in the wrong direction there a little bit and um programming wise we <laughs> we were taught pop 11 which was the university's own programming language. Oh, really? Yeah. Right, so, okay. <laughs> it was very procedural. Like, there was no objects, no classes, like, nothing. Um, but it was it was quite a nice language to, to learn. But it wasn't like you could graduate and rock up at a job interview and they say, oh, what programming languages? Do you yeah, know? yeah. Oh, Pop 11. <laughs> <laughs> so what was university like then? I I didn't I didn't like programming at university. Like I I didn't. I think. Have you heard about the desert of despair? No, no. Yeah. Okay. Um. When, when you're programming, like often you have to cross the desert of despair where things are just really hard, right? And you know everything you're trying to do just doesn't work, and you're like, oh my god. And I think I ne I didn't get out of the desert of despair when I was at uni. Um. So I try. I, I picked all of the modules that were nothing to do with programming, like as far from programming as I could. So I did like Japanese, and I did like evolutionary biology, and I did neuroscience, and you know, um, tried to avoid anything that was that was really kind of computer programming based. Yeah. And what was life like? Um, what was the kind of lifestyle like at university if anybody may be listening thinking about university going into technology etc yeah it's interesting I mean I Sussex is in Brighton right yeah I, I know geographically that's wrong so the University of Sussex is in Brighton so that was an amazing place to go to uni right you know like um, in terms of the going out and the parties it was phenomenal 
Um, but I think what was interesting was um, I went to a Women in Technology conference last year. Maybe it was the year before, year before COVID. And there was a panel of millennials there. And I think out of about eight of them, only one had gone to university. Like they just, they, you know, and it, there was this feeling that university wasn't valuable to them. Yeah. So the majority of them had kind of gone through apprenticeships or found other routes into um, their fields. And they were really accomplished women, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, it was. I, I found that quite gobsmacking that actually university hadn't appealed whatsoever. And, and they just said no. I think um, for me that was never – it wasn't as – popular an option then you know it was sort of that that thing you know you go to school then you go to university then you go and and get a job after that or stay yeah Yeah. like uh, it's really exciting that there's other routes now into industry yeah, hundred percent. Um, and one of the it's it's been a very big talking point, but I, I suppose it's kind of dulled down quite a lot now because it's become so normal. But people can you don't need to go to university to be a very very good software engineer these days. Yeah. Um, there's people coming through from so many different backgrounds, whether that's code academies, people from university, people who have taught themselves. Um, I think I, I actually placed somebody as a junior developer at the back end of last year who was in the mid-40s and they just trained up themselves over a couple of years and then obviously did really well for themselves and managed to secure a position. So that, that's one of the reasons that we do the podcast to show that there are, there are very... There are, there are different journeys that you can take to get to the end result. 100% agree. Yeah, one of the women that I work with at Savanta, she she did a, um, a boot camp and um, yeah, she's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's really, really solid. Good, good. Um, so tell me about when you left university then. What did you do after that? Um, I went and taught English for a bit. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do after university. You know, I had this degree in AI, but I wasn't really that passionate about um and I definitely didn't want to go and be a software developer (laughs) (laughs) but I found myself in Cambridge and um I think a job agency got me a job working for um Jobstream which was like a company that made accountancy software for offshore um tax haven kind of places right and I was a, a hired there as a tester um and that was that was cool like you know it was as in terms of this is your first job and you know this is how you work with other people and you know that whole stuff um that, that it was a really nice team and and I got on with people um and they had this sister company who were making mobile games at the time in WAP which was you know like yeah so so old <laughs> like you know real static pages kind of thing you know black and white and you see it load like pixel by pixel um anyway yeah they they seconded me to endgame the sister company i think purely because of my ai degree yeah i i I don't remember a conversation where i was asked whether i wanted to go i think i literally turned up (laughs) one day and they were like okay you're gonna go here and be a software developer now and you know at that age you're like okay well if that's what then i'll just go and do that Um, is is there so you mentioned there that you um you, when you left university you weren't sure what you wanted to do you didn't want to be a software developer mm. uh, and then you took the position with Jobstream as a QA tester yeah um is there a reason that you kind of gravitated and and was interested in the test side as opposed to the development side 
I thought it would be more interesting in a way. Like, I love breaking stuff, okay. you know? Like, breaking yeah, yeah. things is really cool, and um, I, I thought that would be that would be quite, quite good. Uh, I like the fact that you were probably more user-facing. Like, um, a, a job stream is a tester. You kind of got to do a lot of the training and got to, you know, I, I mean, I never went to the British Virgin Islands or anywhere like that, but I went to Jersey and, um, you know, uh, helped them set up. Um, some of the the new features that we had going on, um, yeah, that that kind of stuff was cool. Right. Okay. Um, and how did you enjoy the game side of development? Then is that when you started thinking, do you know what, I'm I'm quite enjoying this? Or yeah, that's when the penny dropped for me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, they didn't. <laughs> they had their own in-house language um, that I picked up. But the games were so, they were so simple. I mean, you know, you can imagine what can you do with a mobile in the in the 90s or yeah. noughties, you know, hardly anything. Like, so the games were super simple. I was going to say, I thought there was only a snake on the, <laughs> yeah, just snake yeah. on the 3210. <laughs> exactly, right. And um, it was great because you could literally rock out a game in a week or something, you know, from start to finish, fully developed, it had been tested, it had art, like, you know, and that sort of pace was really, I, I really liked that. Um, yeah, I, and I found myself really enjoying it. I think probably for the first time I thought, okay, yeah, actually programming is really awesome. I really like the problem-solving um, challenges that I'm getting to do. It's it's quite creative you had quite a lot of input into the design of the game. Um, yeah, that I, I was I was really happy doing it. But I would never have in a million years have put myself forward for that role, I don't think. Yeah. In a way, it was really great that they just said, yeah, well, you're going to go and be a developer in this games company now. Like, you know, I, I don't think I would have chosen that for myself. I, I don't think I even knew you could, but there were jobs in that industry. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. And actually, that was something else from that. Um, conference that I went to women were saying actually we don't really know what jobs are available you know it wasn't until I sat down next to a web developer that I realized oh there's a job where you can create websites right you know and, and yeah you know, yeah and that's how she got into that field you know it's, yeah. it's interesting how yeah you, you, school doesn't really prepare you for what actual jobs exist right yeah yeah it's interesting because um before I got into recruitment, I'd never even heard of a software developer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. And, and C Sharp or .NET or Java. And I remember the interview that I did as a trainee recruiter and the um, the final interview, they asked me to put together a presentation of how I would create a brand new Java market in the east of England. Wow. And it, I was like... So am I selling coffee? <laughs> it was like, I've got to go and research this. And I didn't have a clue what it was. And then when you start looking into it, it just opens up a whole new world that you just didn't even know existed. So I, 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 can, I understand where you're coming from, from that perspective. Um, so after being a developer there for a little bit, then working on games, um, you mentioned that the business went into administration uh, oh, and then a, a, a group of you formed Rocksteady. Yeah, that, uh, so I went and worked for a proper games company, um, and that, that's the one that went into administration. So Argonaut were like famous for the Harry Potter games and Starglider. I think that was like the first ever 3D game. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was that was really fun. Um, I, I yeah, I, I had a really good time there, and, and that's where I learned C plus plus. So like finally, I got to that. 
you know, finally working with a real programming language. That was that was great, but it was a trial by fire. Like they hired me, I think, because I could speak a bit of Japanese. Yeah. And they were negotiating with Namco at the time, like to publish the game. Uh, right, okay, quite, yeah. Like, eavesdrop on the on the conversations. Uh-huh. But, um, but yeah, um, it was it was tough. Like crunch is real in games for sure, you know, and um, you, you just have to live and breathe it. And there's, you, you know, there were no sort of older people at the company. Um, we were all super young and we were either working or drinking. And yeah, yeah, it was that sort of lifestyle. But yeah, it went into administration and um, and then, yeah, a group of us um, put Rocksteady Rock together or, you know, um, Sefton and Jamie set it up and then... Um, asked me to come and join them like super early on so we got to choose the offices together we got to decide that we were called Rocksteady and create the logo and you know decide all how the fun we... stuff <laughs> yeah well I had to set up the mail server that wasn't that wasn't super fun but um yeah it was it was it was good but I, I was pretty burnt out by um by my time in games it was just yeah it was it was pretty full-on and how long were you there how long were you with Rocksteady not very long um I think it was about a year, probably. Um, I'd, when um, Argonaut went into administration, I'd uh, I'd looked into going to Japan, and it took it took about a year to sort it out. So that's really what happened. But I, you know, those sort of crux moments in your life, like I, I do look back sometimes and wonder, like what would have happened if I stayed? Yeah. Um, I mean, they, yeah, they've done so well, and the games that you know, uh, the Batman games, Arkham Asylum, and City and all of those are, are, are really solid. Right, okay. And that's with Rocksteady. Mm, yeah. Right, okay, fantastic. Um I thought to be fair, I thought I'd heard the name Rocksteady before. Um yeah, I didn't yeah. I didn't put two and two together. That's amazing. Yeah, um okay, and then you, you mentioned obviously you went um you were planning to go um to go, yeah, okay. Um so what what brought on that decision? Well, I guess Argonauts, like I said, it was it was really it was really tough. It was really fun and really tough, right? At, at Argonaut, and um, I think that the final project that I did for them was like a real death march project. Like we had to sign the contract fairly early on to commit to working like um, <laughs> a huge number of extra hours, and then you still had to work extra on top of that. So I was working six or seven days a week, and you know, not leaving until 10 o'clock at night or something like that um, on a normal day. You know, sometimes you just do an all-nighter and, you know, all the rest of it. And, um, yeah, I, I could just tell it it, it wasn't, um, wasn't doing me much good. Yeah. And I felt like I needed to do something really different. And, you know, I'd always wanted to go to Japan. Um, I'd, I'd really enjoyed the Japanese that I did at university. And... Um, yeah, so I applied for the JET program, which is, you know, um, the, gov- the Japanese government's program to send people to go and teach English. And um, I didn't really expect to get in because it's it's quite difficult. Um, but amazingly, they said yes. And so they uh, I, I got to go to Okinawa, which was this beautiful archipelago of subtropical islands with, you know, palm trees and beautiful beaches and, you know, um yeah really lovely kids but yeah very different from what I was doing yeah so how long were you there two years two years okay um and what what kind of enticed you to come back then 
Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have come back. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was done. Two years was enough for me, I think. I'd sort of yeah. taught everything that I could teach by then. Like the thought of teaching the same things for another year didn't didn't quite appeal to me. I, I think if I'd had some reason to stay in Japan, I would have done. Like I think a lot of people stayed for love. Yeah. Or they had some hobby that, you know, they could only do in Japan, like break dancing or something like that. And um, you know, I, I didn't really have that. I had a uh, I had a partner in the UK that I wanted to come back to, and yeah. you know, um, and yeah, it, it felt like it was the right time to come back. Right. Okay. Um, and then this is where this is what I find really interesting that you managed to take a couple of years out, go away, not always had a huge interest in the development side of everything. Um, but then when you come back, you secure a position with one of the most reputable businesses in the east of England, Redgate Software. Um, yeah, I, I didn't so how know did you didn't you didn't know that at the time? No, I came back and I think I asked on Facebook, I said, um, you know, where are good companies to work at? And um one of my friends from Jobstream said, Oh, you should come and work at Redgate, it's really great here. And um he was the head of test at Jobstream, so yeah. Um, uh, I applied as a. They were looking for a QA person, and um, yeah, it was. That's that's how it happened. Like I, right. I, I genuinely didn't like, really know or appreciate the prestige of Redgate at the time. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, do you want to tell me about your time at Redgate then? Because um, you you wore quite a few different hats while you were there. Yeah, I did. And I, I really appreciate them for giving me those opportunities. I mean, Redgate is a really, really great place to work. I mean, I think especially if you're um, quite new in your career, like it's it's always been such a great place to bring people on and help develop yeah. people and, and uh, move you forward. And that, that was definitely true for me. So, yeah, I started as a, a QA person um, and then... I, I think that was the first time I worked with UX people. I didn't really appreciate what UX people did in terms of design and research. Yeah. Got really interested in the research side and um, they let me try out being a UX facilitator for a bit. Um, that was really fun. And then um, and then they persuaded me to try project management, which I was really quite against you know and I think I was very underconfident and didn't like the sound of going into management at all you know and um yeah they 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 badgered me quite a lot to do it um until eventually I said okay I'll give it a try and see how it goes and um it's definitely hard but um you know I I realized after you know I think I, I got into it and and realized how much you can do with a, a as a team right you know actually yeah. that's that's quite exciting to be able to um build that and push that and make things happen yeah, yeah. and then you were a, from being a project manager didn't you become the development manager for a little while yeah and again i so, didn't really want to do that either like okay um, <laughs> it's definitely encouraged to do that and um and uh, I have to say I'm really grateful that they that they did that you know like yeah. I think if I'd been left to my own devices I I wouldn't have tried those things and I wouldn't have pushed myself in those areas so I'm really grateful to the managers that I had there who were constantly saying ah oh, come on Alice you'll be great just go for it you know we'll, we'll give yeah. you support we'll help you and you know 
and they did. And it, of course, it's hard. It's always hard doing new things and changing roles, and you know, it's scary times. But yeah, you know, if you don't try, you'll never, never experience it. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Um, so when you became the development manager with Redgate, was was that your kind of first step into people management? I was people managing as a project manager. Okay. But yeah, as a development manager, it was just on a kind of bigger scale. Like yeah. that was maybe that was the first time I was managing managers. Yeah. Okay. And um, and how did you find the transition moving from non-people management to management? What was that like? Oh yeah, horrifying. Um, I, I think I clung on to testing. Like I tried really hard at the start. Like, you know, I still really wanted to be hands-on. Like I didn't want anything to be released unless I'd seen it or, you know, kind of, and because it was my comfort zone, right? And I think you've got to, you've got to have that conversation with yourself when you go from being an IC to a, to a manager is, you know, you have to let go of these things and, you know, you have to embrace the, the things that are uncomfortable and hard and let go of the things that are safe that you know about, you know, yeah. Um, but actually people management turned out to be my favorite thing, you know? And right. Okay. Yeah. It's what I, I, I really, really love it. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and obviously that's, that's shown by the way that you've moved forward further from Redgate. Um, so I suppose Redgate probably gave you the biggest opportunity so far, didn't they? When they pushed you into, um, or yeah, kind of push you towards the development manager and project management positions. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, and then there's another bit of a twist, isn't there? So <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> so what, what happened when you left, uh, Redgate? I felt so I'd established that I love um I love managing people and I loved helping people grow and develop and I got I just had this feeling that wouldn't go away of wanting to do that on a deeper level you know and I I I knew that if I didn't do it then I probably never would you know yeah so I looked into uh becoming a nurse and I started volunteering at my local hospital for a bit just to see what it was like. This was still while I was being a development manager at Redgate. And um, at the time, the government were paying for, they paid your tuition fees and they paid your bursary and, you know, all of that good stuff. Like they made it quite easy for you to kind of get into it, I suppose, although it's, it's very, very competitive. So again, I didn't, I wasn't sure what my chances would be like given this unconventional, you know, part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they said, yeah, come and study with us and, and become a nurse. So I went off and did that for a, a good few years. Did you, did you finish the degree in nursing? Mm, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. did. So yeah. you, you're actually, um, a qualified nurse, a English nurse. teacher, yeah. a software engineering exactly. manager. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're definitely someone that, uh, that you, that we need on the team. Um, if you need someone on your team who can be quite diverse, it's definitely yourself. Okay. Um, and then what what made you step back into technology again? Hmm. So I was in critical care as a nurse. Um, and part of that was the technology, actually. Like critical care nursing has a huge amount of tech and it's, yeah. it's amazing. Like sometimes you can't see the patient for the machines that they're attached to. And um, God, yeah, in terms of 
diagnostic stuff and monitoring and you know all of that good stuff it was it was really technically very complex and um, but it was easily the hardest job that I'd ever done like so so different to tech um and the my health really suffered I you know from the the night shifts and the trauma yeah. and you know everything um I lost all my hair and like um I got um really terrible uh, psoriasis I call over my whole body and things like that you know it was uh, yeah it was it was, was that was that would you think that was brought on by like emotional stress and physical stress right yeah. okay like um I couldn't really plan anything cuz like the schedules were um uh, you, you didn't really know week to week what shift you'd be doing, you know, which yeah. shift you'd be on nights, what shift you'd be on days, would you be working weekend? So, yeah, I, I, I felt it was kind of similar to games. I felt like I was either working or recovering from working. Yeah. Um, I, I loved it. I really loved it. And, um, you know, that feeling you get from helping people at, at that sort of level, you yeah. know, that kind of between life and death situation was just amazing and such a privilege um and hats off to to anybody who can make that work for you know a very very long period of time but yeah for me um yeah I I I wasn't thinking of getting back into tech I I went for a drink with Bart who's the CTO at Savannah and he was telling me they were looking for an engineering manager and he described what he was looking for, you know, someone to come and grow the team, somebody who's got great people management skills, who can like think about learning and development and, you know, and everything inside me just sort of lit up and thought, oh, I really missed that. You know, actually that sounds amazing. So, um, yeah, I, I took him up on the offer basically. Right. Fantastic. And then you went back to Savannah and that's where you are at the moment. Uh, so how long have you been with Savanta? Uh, 20 months. 20 months, okay. And what's the size of the teams that you're responsible for at the moment? Each team has about five developers and a UX person and a product manager. I, I think they've got about 17 or 18 developers in total. Okay. And are they all, do they all fall underneath yourself? I manage the team leads, a few of the developers, um, and some uh, I imagine manage the support function and and our QA, um, but the team leads manage most of the people in the teams themselves. Right. Okay. Um, no, that's fantastic. What a really good overview of uh, kind of your your career to date. Um, so, a couple of kind of quick fire questions, I'd say, before we move on from that. So, um, if <laughs> it's quite a challenging question, actually, if you were to do something differently. What do you think you would have changed and why? It's it's really tricky, isn't it? Like, I do think about that time when I left Rocksteady. What, it's more like the what-if questions. What yeah. if I hadn't left um, Rocksteady? What if I hadn't left Redgate, you know? What if I hadn't gone to Japan? But I don't think I would have done very much differently. I, I think... This picture that I've painted you, I, I want it to be, I don't want it to come across like, you know, every time something gets hard, you just leave and go and do something else, right? I, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. It's, it's awesome to go and do different things. And I'd really encourage people who are listening to to do it. You know, if you aren't one of those people like me who at the age of five, they want to be a doctor. If you're interested in lots and lots of different things, go and do lots and lots of different things. But there is that balance between 
you know, some, sometimes you have to be in the desert of despair, right? Sometimes you yeah, have yeah. to stick something out because it's hard. And um, I think, did I did I always do that? I, I think I did. I think I did. So yeah. what my my opinion on your journey, and obviously it's just my opinion, is you've been stayed very true to yourself, but done that within a few different disciplines. So everything that you've done has been around helping people. Yeah. Which, which is amazing. So you might not have stuck within technology, but you went to teach Japanese English to Japanese children. Um, you may have stepped away from technology again, but you went into nursing and, and learned to become a nurse. Um, so in regards to painting a picture of you, I think it paints an amazing picture of you. Um, yeah. ju- just to give you just to give you that peace of mind. Um, no, that's brilliant. That really, really good. Um, so we'll we'll move on to the the big topic then, and have a quick chat on this. I think we've got maybe 15, 20 minutes left. Um, so obviously, one of the things we wanted to speak to you about was what it has been like um, as a woman in technology, um, and what has it been like trying to become a successful woman in technology. Um, so I think just a very open question to start with. What has it been like to be a woman in technology? Tech is a great field, right? Like, you know, I think if you're a man or a woman, like <laughs> technology is really good. Yeah. Um, you can, the, the problem solving, I think, is is always going to be interesting. And um, for me personally, like one of the reasons why I love people management is because it's still problem solving, but it's with people. Yeah. Like, you know, um, some more complex but ultimately more rewarding and I think there's a lot of creativity in tech as well um I think as a woman in technology you feel like you have to prove yourself right like you know in in the back of your mind that whether it's true or not I think you do think to yourself do people think I'm here because because I'm a woman, right? Yeah. Oh, you just got this job because you're a woman. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're trying to hit that diversity, uh, yeah, exactly. that, that metric, diversity metric. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think because of that, you have to work twice as hard. You have to be twice as prepared, you know. And I think I certainly put that on myself, right? You know, like I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that that is what, what, people are thinking like oh you got yeah. that job because you're a woman but if you think that if you think people are thinking that and it drives your behavior like that it's it, it can be it can be difficult like you know you've got to catch yourself if you're doing that yeah don't do that you, you've got that job because you've earned that job yeah 100 percent um so how many people how many women in your in your team at the moment how many other females are there on the technical team Oh, it's very embarrassing. There's not not many. Um, we did have two female developers. One of them's just left and gone to Amazon. Um, she's amazing. They're both amazing. Let me let me be really clear. Um, but yeah, so that's and we've got um, one uh, female UX person. That's and we've got me. Like yeah, that's, that's the that's all the women. So would you say so? From from a recruitment perspective, obviously I see that every day. I see the people looking for work and I see the businesses that are hiring them. What I see is it's difficult to build that diverse workforce because there are just less women in technology. 
Um, so it, it fundamentally falls down to how do we get people or how do we get women to initially become interested in technology so they choose that early as a kind of direction for their career. Um, because I can honestly say that none of the businesses that I've ever worked with would choose a, a male over a female for that reason. Um, but I'd, it's not very often that we have female developers who are contacting us saying I'm looking for looking for work. Um, so do you would you say that it's um, where would you say that the problem stems from? The mm. the lack of women in technology. The lack of women in technology. Who who knows, right? Yeah, apparently, um, it isn't it isn't a worldwide thing. Oh, really? Yeah, I was interviewing someone yesterday, and he told me that in Thailand, the gender balance is much more even. That, like, you know, um, women are much, much more likely to go into technology. There, there isn't quite that stigma that there seems to be in in Britain. Yeah. And, you know, maybe other Western countries about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, at school, I was the only girl who did physics. I was, like, one of three girls who did maths. Like, I, I do agree with you. Like, it, it starts from a super, super young age. Something, something stops women from being interested in STEM subjects. Yeah. And it's really hard to know what that is. I, I think a lot of the bigger companies are doing the right thing and going into schools. Yeah, yeah. I think a big part of it is what we were talking about earlier, that, like, actually, if you don't know about the jobs, what the jobs are like, like, you know, you saying, I've got no idea what a software developer is, you know, if you don't, if you don't know what the options are, why, why would you go down that track? Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, no, that, that kind of hits the nail on the head, really, as well. Like, um, if they did more to build it into maybe school curriculum, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Then obviously it's going to be something that you're aware about. So my, my son, he's six, and he, what does he want to be at the minute? It changes every week. I think he's on a singer at the minute. <laughs> um, so now his, his kind of vision for the future is a singer, but that's because it's something that he knows. Yeah. How, can they, how they can you choose what you want to be quite early on in your career and what you want to work towards, as long as you've got the right guidance. But if you don't know that it exists, how do you? How do you head in that direction? It's it's like working without a vision. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you meant, one thing that you mentioned to me about being a woman in tech was um, make sure, don't be famous for being the woman. Be famous for the things that you actually do and contribute. Yeah. So have you got any examples of that maybe or any? can you elaborate on that a little? When I worked at Argonaut, on my very first day, I came into work, sat down, turned on my computer, opened my email, and the very first thing email that I got was from a developer. I'd never met this person, right? Like literally, I just got an email, and it just said, "Girls can't code." Like, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so that's what I mean by being famous for being the woman, right? You yeah. Know, this guy has no idea who I am, right? I'm Argonaut's only female developer. And um, that's that's what's going to happen, right? Like you know, it's it's just really depressing. Like you know, you shouldn't be held up on this pedestal. And you know, I think some companies just have the numbers, right? 
you know it's like when you said to me how many women are are in your company right like you know yes you you can just give the numbers right you can say yes we've got we've got two female developers we've got one female ux designer but the point is is like sort of why why should you want more women in your company right yeah not just to make that number a bit higher like because actually you know the studies have shown that businesses with a more balanced workforce will have bigger revenue will have a diverse range of opinions will you know have a greater influence on things you know there's a reason why my mobile phone can't be used by me with one hand but for my boyfriend he can do that fine right yeah 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 no it's a good point um and it's to, to me and the businesses that i've worked in it's about a different perspective that everybody can bring to the table as well. Um, whether 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 that's um, whether it's race, whether it's whether it's gender, yeah. um, it's yeah, not it's just a KPI. It's yeah. not we need to hire a woman because we've not got enough of them. <laughs> it's because it can bring a whole um, different perspective to the business as well. Yeah. Um, there's a book. I've not read it yet. It was recommended to me yesterday, and I can't remember the name of it, but I'll let you know afterwards. Uh, and it was written by the owner of Netflix, um, and it's all about how they built the Netflix culture. Um, and okay. basically, yeah, yeah, it's meant to be a very, very good book. It's it's on its way to my house at the minute. Um, but the book, I think the guy from Netflix talks about how there were about 120 people, um, and they had a, there was a big crash. They had to let go of a third of the business. But what they did is they they looked at it from the perspective of culture as opposed to um, performance, if that makes sense. So it wasn't just about how well somebody performs. It was what do they bring? What perspective do they bring to the business? Um, so a really good book, I've, I've been told, recommend reading that. Um, okay, so... We also wanted to talk about the problems with getting women into technology um, and how to hire women into tech as well. Um, you said that that would be an area that you'd be kind of wanting to go into a little bit. Um, so should we start with things like um, just making sure that the kind of the message is inclusive and, and makes people feel welcome? So do you want to kind of delve into that a little? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's this sort of myth that you sometimes hear when you speak about um, addressing the gender balance. Oh, I just hire the right person for the job, right? You know, and it's so flawed on so many levels because it kind of assumes that you've you've got this perfect representative sample and you are choosing the best person from that group of people. Of course, your sample is not representative. Your sample is the people who've applied to your job ad, right, that you've managed to teach. And a big part of that is what you're saying about, you know, we should be reaching people earlier, right? We should be going into schools and we should be um, making it super clear that STEM can be for everyone, right? That it's that it's not uh, an exclusively male domain. Yeah. Um, I think um, that in terms of job description, men and women read things differently, you know? Um, yeah it's if you're a woman you might have been on maternity leave you might be coming back into the workforce you you might not have as much confidence that you can do all of the things that the job description wants you to do right like you know and so if there's one thing on there that you can't do maybe it'll put you off applying right yeah so 
at Savanta, we put we added a line to say, look, if you can't do absolutely everything on this list, please still apply. We we're really interested in this diverse range of opinions and you know backgrounds that that will make us a better company, right? Yeah. And if you've been out of the workforce for a bit and been on a career break and want to come back, please get in touch. We'd love to talk to you. You know, it, right? It's, okay. It's it's kind of language like that, I think, and I think it's less common these days that the job descriptions can be quite aggressive, but but they definitely used to be, you know, yeah, you know, in, in the sort of language of you know smashing targets and you yeah, know, yeah, really getting out there but like grabbing things, you know, um, yeah, I, I think just being a bit a bit more mindful of of that kind so- of thing. What impact did you see from the uh, the changes in the Savannah job advert? Do you think that you actually saw some results from that that made the that, that kind of let you know that it was working the way you wanted it to? I think when we were hiring, we've been hiring recently, and I tell you what's been really interesting is how hard COVID has hit. Yeah, like, hardly anybody is working. Right, most people have been out of 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 a job since sometime last year, you know, and that really shocked me. I think, you know, you always kind of think, oh, tech's kind of unaffected by this kind of thing, but it really isn't. Yeah. So yeah, people who hadn't been working for a good while were applying. And um, I wonder if that is because we, we did say specifically, if you've been out for a bit, don't worry, don't let that put you off. Um, I, I don't think we've had a massive a massive surge of women applying specifically, but we've definitely yeah. had some good, strong female candidates. It's been good. Right. Okay. Fantastic. Um, and in your career today, would you say that you've ever felt that you've been maybe restricted by the fact that you're a female in technology? You don't need to give any specifics on that, <laughs> by the way. Because <laughs> that would be a very difficult question to answer. But do you think that it's held you back at all? I think I've been really lucky in having those good managers that, that yeah. I get to you who pushed me into things. Like, you know, I, I I don't think we as women are always the most confident about our own achievements and our own skills. And, you know, maybe we're more likely to sit back and let somebody else take that opportunity than go for it ourselves. I'm so grateful to the people who pushed me into those things, you know. Yeah. Um, I... I if you talk to any woman, she will have a story for you about how she has been, you know, harassed or discriminated against, you know, that it, it, it definitely does happen. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think I, I would put up with a lot less than I used to, right? You've still got to work out which hill to die on, right? And, uh, you know, yeah. but... <laughs> But I don't think I've ever felt like, oh, I can't do that because I'm a woman. I don't think I have felt like that. I've definitely sat in meetings before where, like, you know, I'm the only woman and and there's, like, you know, a, a lot of very opinionated men who are trying to make their point very emphatically and thought, oh, this is really exhausting. But do you know what? I've also been in nursing, which, you know, is completely female-dominated yeah. and actually is kind of similar, right? Like, if you get any hom- homogenous group together, there's a sort of weird thing that happens where I think because you've got these these shared background and shared experiences, there's less there's less space for new ideas and creativity, right? Does that make sense? Do you, yeah, do you it know? makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's weird. Right. No, 
what are you seeing in like the the applications that that in the companies that you deal with like you know are people sort of changing the way that they're approaching recruiting different groups of people or um I don't think much has changed in the approach. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting that you talked about um, the how to make an advert inclusive and putting the extra lines in there that would make people more comfortable to apply. Because um, the, the thing that's kind of strikes to mind for myself, it would be training that I had years ago. And and the, um, the gender equality training within advert writing was don't use the word he or she. <laughs> Uh, and that was as simple as it was. Um, you'll get in trouble for doing that. Don't do it. There was never any emphasis on but why are we actually, why are we really doing it? Instead of trying to make sure that we're not just getting in trouble, it's yeah, making yeah. sure that we're actually doing it for the right reasons, um, which it, you made a really interesting point on before. Um, I think what we're seeing is I've never had a company choose to hire, or they've never told me that they've chose to hire a man over a woman for that reason. Yeah. Um, Have you had the opposite though? I've never had them tell me, but I've I have had the the feeling and the opinion that that might have been what has happened. Um, if you have a very good female software developer and you have a very good male developer, if they're both equally as talented. Mm. I do feel like some companies would go with the female. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and whether they're doing that, like we discussed, whether they're doing that just to hit a KPI or they actually do believe that, yeah. that perspective, a, a female perspective coming into that team is going to be the right for the culture and things like that. Uh, I don't know. I couldn't answer that and I'd be scared to ask. <laughs> um, yeah. But... I think, so at the moment, I've got a director of marketing who's female who's having a final interview next week. I've got a software engineer, a senior software engineer, female. She's got an offer this morning. Um, the, the last BA and PM that I placed a couple of weeks ago were both female. So there are a lot of females in the technology industry, um, just not many in development specifically. Yeah. So they, ten, they tend to gravitate more towards QA, BM, BA, um, testing, etc., uh, as opposed to kind of hands-on coding and engineering. And that, that can be a really good route into coding, right? Like, I, th I yeah. think if you're a manager out there and you're you're managing people who aren't developers and you want more more female developers, if you've got good people working in other areas, maybe try and encourage them towards development. Yeah, I wonder if there's um like an early age, like going through uh, academia. I wonder if there's a stigma around engineering as a man's tread. Um, because obviously when, if you think of engineering and you just think of it as a word, you you tend to think getting dirty, getting some oil, it's heavy lifting, et cetera. Um, but if you don't fully understand what software engineering actually is, you would never give it a second thought um, if you thought that it was hard labor. maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, all the original computer programmers were female, right? Like in the forties, yeah. you know, like it's it's been a really weird transition. Mm. I would say that the NHS had it was it was easier to work as a woman in the NHS. Like the flexibility, but I was quite rare in that I worked full time. Like hardly anybody worked full time, and I I think that gave them a lot of flexibility. They could just pick up you know a couple of shifts a week, and then they could do overtime if they wanted to. But um, 
it wasn't compulsory. I think whereas with tech, you know, you're much more likely to want to be full time. They, they say they have core hours, but actually their company meeting will still be during the school run. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's this sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think there's lots that businesses can do. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of the taboo subjects as well, right? You know, like, you know, painful periods or, you know, menopausal symptoms. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got brain fog. Like, can you imagine having that conversation with your middle-aged white male manager about, you know, um, actually... Yeah, you know, yeah, it's very true. I, I think Michelle Obama talked about the menopause, didn't she, with... Um, I think Obama's cabinet, he had a lot of women in his cabinet and um, of a sort of menopausal age and, uh, and offered to turn on the air conditioning. I, I, thought, I thought that was really decent. You know? <laughs> it's nice to just have some awareness, right? For like yeah. Years and things. Yeah. 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 Well, I think, I think the important thing and the good thing is there is a lot of emphasis on this as a subject. Um, and it is something that more and more businesses, especially the, uh, the good, strong, reputable businesses, such as the companies that you've worked for, hence you having a, a, a good experience, um, have got a lot, put a lot of emphasis on this, and they are trying to tackle it in the right ways. Um, so that's definitely a positive, and hopefully something that we'll we'll see bringing more solutions moving forwards. Um, no, that's been fantastic. Are there any other any other points that you want to run through? I don't think so, Sean. I think it's been a really uh, really involved conversation. It's been yeah, I've really, no, I've, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Very insightful. Um, so one last question then before I let you go. Um, if you could give any advice to women in technology um, at the moment, what, what advice would you give them? Oh, so much advice. Um, take the opportunities where you can. Don't, you know, just, just go for it. Don't be, don't be scared. Don't, don't let that voice in the back of your head telling you you can't do it. Don't listen to that voice. Like, you know, and I think, I hope that my journey is a good example of like, it's it's okay to go and do something different. And it doesn't mean that, you know, that's it forever or that yeah. you can't try it, do something different, go back into tech afterwards, you know. Um, yeah, that, that would be pretty solid advice. I'd say the other thing is when your job hunting is, team is like so much more important team and culture than anything else right you know yeah much more important than cool technology or the company brand or the company perks and in interview you have a lot of power to find out about the company like use that time to ask them quite tough questions i i love it when people i'm interviewing ask me really difficult questions you know what what are the things that you really hate about working here what are the huge risks that you're facing you know those, those kind of things how, how what what is your culture like you know what are you doing to be inclusive of women and why is that important to you if if the person interviewing you doesn't have a good answer to those questions like it probably isn't part of the culture right That's, yeah it's, yeah yeah it's a good point yeah no fantastic absolutely uh delighted that you joined us that was a really insightful chat thank you very very much Alice um, yeah so I'll um, I'll say goodbye and I'll follow up with you afterwards for a quick chat if that's okay yeah perfect yeah thank you thanks thanks for tuning in hope you enjoyed that don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you're notified of any future conversations with leading technology managers 
If anyone would be interested in coming on the podcast, feel free to reach out at Sean, S-E-A-N dot Rhinus, R-A-G-A-N-I-S at progress-talent.com.